Hello, my name is Michelle Yanachan, the Wandering Book Collector, and this is my podcast, conversations with writers exploring what's informed their books and their lives around the themes of movement, memory, sense of place, borders, identity, belonging, and home. The Wandering Book Collector podcast is supported by Cox and Kings. And a flag for us too here. If you like the podcast, please take a moment to rate us on the app you use to tune in. We want our guests to be read more and heard more and strong ratings help make that happen. Thanks in advance. I'm joined by the writer Kashia J. Kabishani to discuss his debut, I Will Greet the Sun Again. It's a coming of age novel about three brothers raised by Iranian parents in Los Angeles. It's set in part in the US, in part in Iran. The story is told by the youngest of the three brothers known as Kay. Cash, welcome to The Wandering Book Collector. Thank you so much for having me, Michelle. The first chapter of your book is titled Named After a Persian King, which Kay tells us he is. Kay says at the age of nine in this opening chapter, I hate the way my name sounds so foreign and old. And he goes on, call me Kay, because unlike Baba and Mamor, I was born right here. And like my brothers, I want to be known as a boy from L.A., since that's the truth. Later on in the book, it becomes more nuanced for Kay. But at the age of nine, it can be that binary. Is it an age thing? And, and is it ever enviable, that simplicity? I certainly think so. I remember, you know, spending that that part of my life growing up in Los Angeles. And you, you know, you, know, you meet um, Daniels and, and Monica's and Stevens. And, and I thought if only I could if only I could have a name like that, then there would be, not only would I feel more comfortable in my skin, but I was convinced at that age that I would also be respected uh, amongst my peers and, and seen as, as one of them. And um, I this is something I think about so often, Michelle, the, the, the earnestness of it and the sincerity of it as a young person, like literally like going down roll sheets or, or saying people's names to myself and, and being, to use your word, being so enviable that my peers had that chance, uh, which of course now as I look back, I realize it's a lot more complex than that. Um, and I even uh, have, have learned to celebrate my birth name uh but certainly at that age yeah it's it's like very much black or white uh, at least that was my experience growing up in um in los angeles especially you know post 9-11 but but also even even before 9-11 and you know just the the narratives around the middle east and the confusion uh around that do you yourself go for the for the hyphen now for for the iranian american combination yeah these you know terms are you know or categories or identities are i think are so much more fluid than we we think but when i i guess the short answer to your question is 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 yes and i uh in 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 my own mind i just i see myself as um a young boy with my grandparents in, in Esfahan and, 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 and that's, I think, so much of where I derive my own personal uh, identity and value 
uh, but then on the page or, you know, to give a sort of, to make it easy when people ask, yeah, I, I'm Iranian American. So there are these parallels in the book, Gash, I think with your own geographies and your own mixed heritage. How, how did you find the challenge of tackling this melding of fiction and truth and the familiar, maybe these threads of autobiography and autofiction? Yeah, I, I, I remember um, I originally started out thinking that I wanted to write um, a memoir and, and that's what I, you know, I didn't grow up writing or reading, um, but came to it uh, in my mid-20s and then, you know, it, I felt uh, the most viable path for me to writing, a, you know, a book or telling this particular story was, was going for my uh, MFA uh, and I went to Columbia University's writing program, but I, I, I was in the nonfiction program, which taught me a lot that I needed to know. Um, but at one point, as I was working on this manuscript, um, I found that the, the narrator wanted to recreate or remake the past as, uh, and which veered away from the, the factual past. Uh, and that's where I felt it was a really special and meaningful opportunity for me to take experiences that I had, um, but then to use, to use the art of fiction uh, to recreate a different story um, for me. And, and, and in particular, one example that really like speaks to me is in my own life, uh, after my father had taken us to Iran and, and when my brothers and I returned, he, he, he came with us, uh, in my, in my life back to the States. Um, but of course in the novel, Baba, uh, stays behind. And I, and I think that was so critical because it allowed Kay in particular with his sexuality, uh, his queerness, uh, to explore those things out, you know, out of the presence of of Bobo, and that was just, that was that was really gratifying for me as a writer, and then and then I think also for the story. It can, I think, for a reader, make us question and maybe be puzzled by the identity of the protagonist, and you know, there's part I think part of the reader's desire to know like how how much is memoir and does it matter and do we care and and how much is hearsay or anecdotal or kind of combinations from friends and family who might have had similar experiences and and that kind of finding a receptacle for all that was was fiction kind of because was that the overwhelming kind of response for you was that's where it had to go Yes, it's, uh, you, that's like the per that's a, such a perfect way of putting it as like a, a, a holding space um, for all these, like, like another example, um, you know, as an adult later on in my, in my life, as I began to, began to explore different literature and poets, and I learned of, you know, the incredible Iranian poet Furu Farouk and, you know, it was, and and she's had such a profound impact on my life as a as a person and as a writer, and I I like sort of mourned the fact that I didn't get to learn about. And there are a lot, a lot of reasons why you know in early nineties Iran people aren't. Uh, I, I mean, it's a, actually quite dangerous to be uh, caught with 
uh, her work. Um, but to be able to weave that into Kay's coming of age, the narrator's coming of age, it's just another example where like fiction really allowed that opportunity to take something to your point that had come to me later on in my life that's very meaningful and then to infuse that into the story. Um, to return to kind of this idea of, of childhood, so kind of before adolescence, perhaps, um, this yearning that Kay feels to be all American is not unique to him, of course. It, what, what is it about LA or brand USA that so many want to be known as like, from the States, even with all the country's problems and complexities? Well, I think it's, it's you know, we have the, the and whether it, we want to say it's the, the media or, or, you know, day-to-day people who perpetuate the narrative. I mean, I remember that was, you know, to your point, I remember just, you know, again, whether it's on television or, or with other friends or, or even older adults growing up and like hearing about how wonderful America is and then more particularly like what a dreamy destination place Los Angeles is, you know, you, you're inundated with this narrative constantly, which is, which is so ironic because uh, especially the part of Los Angeles that this family lives in is, is, is it's not, <laughs> it's not necessarily dreamy or, or a destination place. And yet, you're told that you're part of that. And so I think part of the drive or the yearning to feel that and to embrace that is you don't, you don't want to feel like something's wrong with you that you're missing out on this narrative. And so you work, at least for me, I worked really hard as a young person to align my lived experience with this narrative that, you know, the films and television and, uh, even when you're driving through some parts of Los Angeles, the glamour of it, you really, it's its in your backyard. So you want to feel like it's also true to you. And is it because in, in fact as well that the US is an immigrant nation and, and there exists a kind of competition over where one was born or how recent one's parents migrated there or, or to lift a line from your book, whose dad wears a Dodgers jersey and drinks beer? I love that you you pointed to like the um, the fact that it's a nation where so many immigrants are living, and uh, even for me, who's first generation, um, anytime I would speak to grandparents or uncles or aunts in Iran, they're also perpetuating the narrative of uh, and and you know and 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 in some ways it's valid when we're talking about like freedom and livelihood or relative freedom and and opportunity for lively livelihood and so you're you're living in this place and not only are you seeing examples of the you know quote-unquote coolness of it but then when you speak to family and uh, for me in iran they're also letting you know how lucky you are and how they would you know quote-unquote sell their kidneys to have that chance to be there and so like oh okay well clearly this is I've I've made it big just by being here. Yeah, there there is there's a line in the book about that when the three brothers are, are taken to Iran by their father and while they're there they visit a cafe and order ice cream, and the shop owner says you three are American boys yes, and the three brothers' pleasure is 
is visceral. You know, it's like they're anointed or, or something special. And actually, in this case, glad to be different. Perhaps the vendor noticed their accent or the way they were wearing their clothes. But it's funny how that power play is perpetuated there too. Like being American in a place like Iran gives you an edge. Um, I wonder where that comes from. It's extraordinary, Michelle. Even um, this this would have been right around uh, Trump's uh, Muslim travel ban. But I, I I was there, so that would have been what 2017, and um, was there. So I was there as an adult, and each time I stepped into a a, a cab driver with encountered a cab driver, or or being or just travel, you know, traveling through parts of Iran. I mean, the excitement. And then the sheer appreciation when, yeah, when when an, an Iranian would kind of pick up on my on my accent and and would learn that I was uh, visiting from America, so many questions, so much, so much they had to share, so much they uh, admired, and 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 so many curiosities, and it it it's in fact it is a a pleasure to hear about. The country you live in from a, a, a different a, such a different perspective and it and you start wondering like do i am i missing something that others are are seeing uh is and and yet to your point like i can't really point my point as to exactly why that is uh that there's such excitement and appreciation around it especially considering all the problems that america has you know, there's a part of me that thinks it's just down to the Declaration of Independence, whether that's fallacious or not, but this, like, the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, like this, as you said, this kind yes, of... Yes, this myth. Narrative. Yeah, the myth of that. Yeah, yeah. But, of course, when, when we're kids and a bit younger, you don't have the full appreciation of that. So, so Kay, at one point, is talking to his older brother, and he says, this is in the book, I've told him too in the morning when he spikes up his hair before going to school that it's hard to tell he's Iranian, which makes Justin smile big. He says, that's the point. And I wondered if you had ever spiked up your hair. <laughs> I, I, I tried, it didn't. Uh, I was always so frustrated because I, you know, especially as you know, a young person had very thick, uh, curly hair. And, but it was, and again, you know, Pardon me for just using these tropes, but at least in my experience, it was a very cool and an American thing to not only spike your hair, but perhaps to dye it or to just basically do anything that would let your peers know that you were you were different. You were, you know, there's this kind of element of rebellion to it. And I remember um, seeing my 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 older brother had his hair was thinner than than mine and so he he was able to spike it i just thought he was the coolest fucking dude in the world because you know it also like it ties in with the type of music you listen to and maybe you start piercing your ears and you know like i said you know dyeing your hair just this and and to me um that observing that and, and especially in in the book as the, the the passage that you read um i do think it separates um the boys from more traditional, especially when I when I think of not just Iranianists but also Islam and the expectations and the mores and everything that comes with presenting oneself in that context. Uh, 
using gel is like such a taboo and, and seen as um, overly, yeah, it's amazing. Like just these, these weird things like wearing gold and all these things that are quote unquote seen as like feminine and are sinful uh, for somebody to, to go against that to me was a departure from Iranianness from Islam. How old were you, um, Cash, when you first went to Iran? Yeah, I was, I was four. I was four years old. So that's quite little, but I just, you know, if not that trip, another trip, but you know, what, what was striking to you about those first few times that you went to the country? Your strongest memories of, of, those, of those trips? Yeah, I, I think about this uh, probably every day, Michelle, which is, and the, and the reason I think about it so often is I'm struck by what seems like a contradiction, which is um, I remember very vividly as a four-year-old just feeling assaulted by all the stimuli, the, you know, the, the, the smells of the, of the smoggy polluted air, the, the noises, the, the loquaciousness of Esfani's, of, of the Iranian people, uh, the, the crowded streets, um, and yet, like as a as a young person, feeling so overwhelmed by those sensations, and yet feeling at home, like feeling that. And I think when I why I say feeling at home is the the generosity of not just my grandparents, but the Iranian community there, the way that they loved and celebrated me was not something that I, that was not my experience, even as a very young person in Los Angeles. And so to have that, it felt like a gift that I, I didn't, even though I was there under very difficult circumstances, it also felt like, yeah, there was this exchange that was happening. Um, and so those are the things that really stick out to me, the memories that really stick out to me. Did, did you ever struggle with the notion of presenting Iran? Like, or, or, or were you ever wary of like feeding the cliches about the country or the, or the culture or Islam, given the, the sometimes uneasy relationship between the US and Iran? You know, when I, like as a, like as a writer writing on this novel, like yeah, yeah. You know, I, that it, it it's always going to be a concern of mine. But, I, but what I will say, Michelle, is in a way, and I don't mean this like in an arrogant way, but like my experience with the Iranian people and with the country of Iran. Um, now, when I say that, I'm separating my experience with what I understand the the regime to be. To me, in my mind. The Iranian regime and the, and, the, and the Iranian people are two very different things. And so because my experience with, because of my experiences with the Iranian people has been so robust and generous, when I sit down to write about Iran, there's just no way that things could fall, that I would fall into the narrative that, let's say, yeah, the you know the general American has about it because it's so far away from my experience. Like I would have to really consciously try. Like, I I would feel like I was lying if I wrote about Iran in the way that um, the 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 general public knows about it because that's just so far away from my experience. 
But there, there, nevertheless, there's some. Like, there's this little quote I wanted to throw at you from the book. Um, when the boys are in Iran and Kay's older brothers are comparing and contrasting life there with life in the U.S. So I quote: "The people here," Justin says, "all they do is pray rather than work for something." That's what I'm saying. Sean jumps in, his face angry. I miss our country, he tells us, where we had shit to do other than pray and take naps in the middle of the day like we're in fucking preschool. And the way they always ask, is America better than Iran? Justin says, rolling his eyes. Is there an answer to that? In, in, in that, yeah, in that, in that context, I, I, I thought it would be just to speak to the boys, the, the very fact that they're, that they're boys and that that's something, you know, it's, it's, I guess, the, I, to me, that feels kind of close to our more, like, primitive instincts as, as human beings, which is, you know, there's this very complex situation where the boys are taken from their mother and, to, you know, and taken to Iran. And the way that they're able to articulate their their anger and their rage and their and their sadness is about is 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 this instance like why why does everybody just pray and take naps in the middle of the day you know it's like that but but to me that feels um very reflective of youth which is like you you the the, the quickest thing you can point to and i guess some of us never grow out of that especially some of us americans and that's where cliches and stereotypes come from it's like we're just quick to point to something and so i i wanted to i guess include that to show that they are, you know, to your point, they're also susceptible of doing that same thing. You, your book is set in the 1990s. Could the same story be, be told today or would it be different? How would it have to be different if it was? That's a very interesting, very interesting question. I think the, the, especially 1990s in, um, in the in the valley in Los Angeles, there, in in my memory and in my understanding of it, there was this nothingness, um, and maybe it's because of where technology was at the time. But you, what, to me, when I remember that time, it's like what was in front of you was what your reality was. Whereas now, you know. It's like you and I right now, we're talking on this call, and yet there's an entire alternate reality happening, you know, uh, whether it's on social media or, or even on you know, different phone applications, different ways of communicating with loved ones. Whereas I think for a young person coming of age in a time where these things weren't available or, or created yet, there's a sense of immediacy that I recall, and especially because the novel is told in the immediate present, I I think it had to be um, that time period where where you know where, where these things weren't available just yet. That's so interesting because where I was kind of going with that was more about like the geopolitics, and I love how you just brought that down on this very forensic molecular level of social media and digital and. Virtual and yeah, so interesting that my headspace was um, somewhere else. But it's so right. It's so right that it was a very, it's a very lived book. And I can, I, I'll never to this day. I, I, and this was like sort of the drive that uh, I think really propelled me to want to tell this story. Is I, again back to like see, you know, paradoxes. Like it seemed 
at that time as a young person like there was nothing and, and, and to your point like you know politically there's there there are all these things that are happening um but as a young person when i compare it to now it just felt on one hand there was like quote unquote nothing happening in my life and yet everything was happening and how do you inhabit that space and how do you make that into a form of art that feels truthful and compelling there's a moment in the book when the boys are still in iran and justin k's old one of k's older brothers loses it and starts yelling at his dad he's still shouting asking baba why he even brought us here to begin with we belong where we were born he yells we belong where we were born. It would be nice if it was that simple, right? As, as a young person, that seems like the, that seems like the, the most sort of, I don't want to say obvious, but it seems like what you're entitled to, and when you're at least for me as as a young person, it's like part of the formula in the mind is like because you know it's like. I was born here, therefore I have the right to be here. Um, and and I and I was I was hearing somebody actually yesterday talk about like that's what that's that's somebody who goes through diaspora. That's what they're always carrying with them is they can be they you know and this is a general sort of statement, but you could be you could be living somewhere and yet you can feel that you belong somewhere else. Um, and that's, I, I think that was, especially in this, in this novel, when the boys are in Iran and the circumstances are the way that they are, that's the quickest thing that you point to is like, well, things aren't going well here because we weren't, we weren't born here and, and we don't belong here. We belong where we were born. Where do you feel you belong or where's, where's home for you now? If I could snap my fingers, I would be. Uh, at my grandfather's home in, in Esfahan, um, uh, you know, but that's, you know, a, um, you know, unless things radically change, we'll, won't ever be able to go back. Um, and the reason why I feel that I, that's where I belong, even though that's not where I was born, um, it speaks to what our conversation earlier about the, the community. I mean, things that I so enjoy and this was something that was so rewarding going back as, as an adult is I've made so much effort here in the states whether it's New York City or or San Francisco or, or other U.S. cities that allow um, you know there's some kind of sidewalk culture there's uh, there's access to public transport you're you're constantly surrounded by people to me that's so important and I derive so much value from that and when I went to Esfahan and saw that that's the case there as well, but you have the added element that it's a heritage and a culture that's familiar to me and to be speaking like in the language that was my first, you know, Farsi, it was just this, all these elements that make up all these things that I value and to get it to be in the, the country where my family comes from the greatest feeling in the world, the greatest feeling in the world. And and was that like an overwhelming epiphany or was that kind of an incremental 
journey of discovery. Yeah, you know, this this kind of points to your first, your very first question about 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 a name, um, and 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 Kay saying it's something that feels so foreign and old. You know, that was something that, um, as a young person, a, a narrative that I held on to, which is that um, there was like a significant difference between me being American born and family in Iran, the way they, the way Iranians see the world and move through the world, the values that they have. Um, but again, going back later as an adult and realizing that there was actually so many more similarities than I had, that I had thought uh, or that I had assumed. And, and, and so it, it was, it was an epiphany of, you know, there's, yeah, there's, again, it's, it's both like the narrative we're told, you know, in the Western part of the world, but also, you know, stories that are ourselves create that they're, you know, they're these like antiquated ways of being, which in some ways are, are true, but people are so much more nuanced than that. Like even my grandfather, you know, as a young person, it was so easy to be like, okay, here's a conservative Muslim man. He sees the world this way and that way. And yet, like when I went back to sit with him, and he's storytelling or telling, you know, making jokes and having everybody laugh. It's like, oh, he's yeah, he's also a human. He's also a human being. And and equally, like, was there a, a kind of seminal moment where you felt a greater distance to the states, which is where you were born and grew up? I I wanted to um to quote this from the book, um, which was a moment for Kay. It was him describing a scene at school the day after 9-11 and the principal says it's okay to be angry sad it's normal to feel hatred boiling in our blood for the people who've caused this all that means mr hoffman says is that we're deeply and truly american and then the lens goes back to Kay, who who is in his words wanting to know what being truly american looks like it's a real moment of reckoning for him. I, I wondered if there had been, whether it was 9-11 or something else, as an experience for you where, you know, in contrast to that kind of intimacy you felt in Iran at that moment you described, but a, a kind of divergence with the other place you belong or, or the place you thought you belonged or where you were born. Yeah, it's, it's, just, it's, it's so interesting because on, on one hand, it's where, you know, to, to speak to that passage you, you just read, it's where Kay feels, you know, being being in America, being in Los Angeles, it's where he feels he belongs. And yet, because of circumstances, like particularly with 9-11, suddenly he's being told that, you know, he and anybody that looks like him or believes in certain, or the things that he believes in or, or has family that comes from the part of the world as as same as his suddenly it's he's being told that in fact he doesn't belong and so there's this like tremendous tension which which you know i really for anybody who's dealing with this and, and, and very much so many people in america are dealing with this today because of the way we we treat one another here is you could feel a sense of belonging but what you're told um is in is is it goes against that and then yet you feel an emotional 
closeness with, let's say, people either if, if you yourself are an immigrant or even if you're first generation and you're going back to your ancestral country or land, you feel an emotional close, closeness but with the people, but you feel a distance from your own identity. So it's, you know, and I guess this is why people will probably be asking this question in art for the rest of the time, or this question of belonging. Could you see yourself living in Iran and making a home there? I I could if if it was if it was safe. Yeah, like if the, especially you know if if one was able to, you know, you I I um I can we can have a whole other podcast interview about what certain Iranian filmmakers have meant to me um, and the 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 admiration I have for them, but. It, but they can't work. A lot of them can't work, and if and and yet if they if they do, it has to be, in, in you know very secretive ways, and you know brings threats to their life. Um, and I, I wouldn't be able to endure that. Um, and I also have the privilege of of having an American passport, so there's a choice. But if it was if it was safe to be there, um, as an out person, as an artist. That, that would be where I would, like I said, where I would go, where I would go tomorrow. So therefore, what do you miss and, and long for that you can't access? Just the sound of language, Michelle, like the, the sound of, of, there's so much, you know, at least in my experience with Farsi, there's the actual things that are being said, but then there's like all this subtext. Uh, you know, it's both like a very hyperbolic language, but it's also um, there's this there's like always people are always uh, not wanting to really speak directly to to things that are difficult or shameful, and I I really I I miss that. It's very endearing to me, and that so that's you know not only the sounds of language, but but a Farsi, but in particular, the way in which people use it um, uh, is something that I'll just always feel nostalgic about. What has stayed with me from your book is some of the descriptions of, of the hot white light in Iran, in Esfahan and, and in Los Angeles, and, and that, that there is this kind of parallel when it comes to that kind of glare. And yeah, so maybe that's, that's the kind of substitute until a, a future date in the parallel universe, Cash. Um, I, I, I'm glad you picked up on that because that was something that I, it felt as far as when we just talk about like climate and yeah, what, what you know, growing up in the, in the valley, the, 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 the hot, dry, the, yeah, the hot and dry summers and then being in Esfahan, it was that time. <laughs> It's just like totally amped up. It's like, well, you have this at, you know, quote unquote, you have this at home. Now you get to have it here, except you're really going to feel it times a million. <laughs> yeah, it's only getting more extreme, as, as we both know. Um, I wanted to, to pick up on, on the author's note, at least in the copy of the book I have, and what inspired you to write this novel, you say, it was to tell the story of a young person who, in spite of difficult experiences he encounters, chooses to keep his heart open to the world. 
My greatest hope is that readers too will be moved by these moments of courageous yearning and how really it's true that if we're able to remember it, youth never really quite leaves us. What came first, Kashdi? Was it the story or was it also this desire that you that you write about to share this kind of hopeful, youthful message? You know, it took me a while to catch up to the the notion that the story came first. And the reason I say that is because I remember as a young person, very, very, you know, I, I mentioned to you, you know, my, my brothers and I were taken to Iran when we were four, but I remember as as a four-year-old narrating what was happening, you know, and at that time I was narrating it for my for myself. Um, and, and again, and of course, as a four-year-old, you know, you don't think to yourself like, you know, one day I'm going to want to write about this, or one day I'm going to want to tell somebody else about this. So I'm... Um, I'm I'm speaking about it now, but it I think as a young person I was so moved by not just the hard things that were happening, but again like going from Los Angeles to Iran and just being fully immersed. You know, there was no there was no lead up to it. There was no there was no travel guide. It was just one night we were in Iran. I mean, in, in Los Angeles and. Before I knew it, we were exiting a plane and, and we were in Esfahan and in and, and my father's father's home. And so and and as and I remember narrating these things to myself as a young person. And and so when I became older, um, I realized that those stories had never left me and that it felt really important to um, honor that young person who had narrated these stories and, and to do it on the, on the page. Have you, does that, does that speak to, like, have you ever, I, I'm always curious, like, if, 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 if people have had that experience, did you have that experience, whether it's like really young as a child or as an adolescent or as a young adult, like where you're, you're going through something and you're, there's a, there's like a voice that's narrating it as if you yourself are a character. It's like a kind of, you know, when people say there's an out of body experience after they've died and come back, you know, where you're seeing your life, even as a, as a child, so not when you kind of understood the ideas, filmic qualities or omniscient kind of voice, you know, and maybe, maybe that's kind of, kind of the qualities of writers or journalists that we try to disembody in order to have a sense of the observational. But, um, yeah, I, I empathize with that. And connect with what you're saying and and I don't know if that's you know does that mean that we don't stay in the present and in our reality as, as well as others maybe it, it it maybe that's a shortcoming I agree with you you know if if you're particularly sensitive and if it's a particularly difficult experience it is almost feels impossible to fully stay in it and yet i i also think the narration or the the yeah this this filmic voice that inserts itself at, at least some of the meaning making that i've done is it was kind of a mechanism to then allow me to return to it so that i can live in that experience i mean I, even as i'm saying i, I get emotional because i i i just and this goes back to the author's no there's a resiliency 
again, I'm I, I'm not even saying it's the correct or wrong way of being, but to me, there is this kind of resiliency of someone who says, okay, I want to be in this experience, but for several reasons, I can't be, and yet I'm going to do something to allow me to return to it. That to me is just like so compelling. Yeah. I, I also feel lucky, and maybe you do too, um, given the areas that we were growing up was before a lot of photography, like a lot of phone phones taking photographs, because I haven't had photographs kind of replace memory. And I think a lot of kids growing up now will have, you know, it's such a blur when you've got all these pictures and all these videos that people yeah. And, and they start to start to replace or at least confuse or muddle the reality of the memory, whatever that is, of course. But but I'm, I'm glad I've still got that kind of the pure memories of childhood that are just only just what's in my head and not kind of. Yes. And that can be evoked by a smell or yeah, they and, and, it, and it comes just rushing back in, in all of its vivid detail. And it's yeah, it's your own private Rolodex like. You, only you can go through it. Finally, Cash, will you share um, with me what you're working on now? I, I'm kind of clamoring for a sequel of Kay's next decade in New York, <laughs> or I would follow any of his brothers into their next decade. And I also wanted to ask you if you can write in Farsi, and would like I don't know what your Farsi is like, but you know, would you write in Farsi too? I wanted to ask you that. Yeah, so I'll start with the the latter part. I I um I remember especially when we were in Iran beginning to learn. Um, but that's one of my regrets is I I can only speak it. I can't read it or or write it. Um, maybe maybe one day. Um, but I it and and I promise this also ties into your to the first part of your question. I remember actually last time I was in Iran, um, telling this to my grandfather and sharing this desire to want to be able to read and write in, in, in Farsi and Persian. And I remember he said something to me that um, like, it was always stuck. He said, you know, first work on mastering one language. And at that time, he didn't even know that I wanted to be a writer, or that I had interest in that. But that's something that I guess it struck me because it let me know that I am in fact so far away from understanding how to use English, especially in a in an artistic way or, or to communicate these difficult themes and, and feelings. Um, so I'm still, I feel I'm still so early on with my understanding of my primary language. And, um, and to tie that into your, the first part of your question is, um, that's, you know, there are certainly ideas and, and projects and essays and, and future novels um, and the things that I feel very compelled toward. But that's what I try to go back to every day, Michelle, is like just to pick up the pen. I, I love I love cursive writing and I love before going to the computer, just allowing myself to engage with writing in that way. And um, right now, that's... I think my biggest priority is to just make sure I keep picking up the pen because it's a very strange and exciting but frightening t in between time of you know leading to the debut publication and wondering 
you know, how the book is going to do and what's going to come next. What's, but what's coming out of the pen? Like, what's the, what is the ink writing? Uh, uh, I'm not done with K. I think there's still a lot of uh, unanswered questions. There's still a lot of um, emotions that, you know, I don't know if this was your feeling, but certainly when I look at the, the, the this book, it feels very generous in its in its optimism and it, and 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 its brightness, both like literally and and figuratively. And I think there's there's a lot of rage and, like I said, a lot of questions that Case still has, especially um, as he grows up and as as he leaves LA to go to New York. I'm comforted by the fact you said that. <laughs> Kashiya J. Kapishani, thank you very much for joining me on The Wandering Book Collector. That's a pleasure, Michelle. And my thanks to the supporter of this podcast, Cox and Kings. Goodbye.